Do you have any updates other than your gigantic couch? Oh my god, that thing is huge. <laughs> like, ginormous. Uh, like, you know how sometimes you get things and it's like the Wish version? This is the complete opposite. It's like we accidentally got the designer version of the couch. <laughs> I... Instead of the Wish version, where it's half an inch tall and a quarter of an inch wide, it is now a mansion in exactly. and of itself. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's larger than it was in the store. Like, it's physically taller mm-hmm. and wider. I wonder, did the legs... Did it have legs in the store? Yeah. Did you all special order it? No. I don't know then. Very weird. Uh, very pleasant surprise. Um, it's very comfortable. Good. It looks and really been... comfortable. And it looks like it makes a great um, pillow fort. Oh, uh, we were going to make a pillow fort this weekend, but uh, the delivery Was like, guy had an issue mm-hmm. and couldn't deliver it until today. That's fine. So. It'll be next weekend. It's so fine. No. Yeah, Noah wants to try again. It looks like it'll make a great pillow fort. Like, I'm super excited to it see will. it. Hello, one and all. Yes. Welcome, one and all. I am Grace, and that is Rachel. I'm Rachel, and that is Grace. Welcome back to the podcast. Episode 72. 72. Wow. That's a lot. This week, we are in Fresno, California. My sources are fresno.gov, wikipedia.org, ushistory.com, and britannica.com. The original inhabitants of the Fresno area were the Yokuts and the Miwok people. Then in 1772, the first European people came to the area. The county Fresno was formed in 1856 after the original gold rush and was named for the ash trees that are abundant in the area. The city was officially founded in 1872 by the Central Pacific Railroad Company. It became the county seat in 1874 and was then incorporated in 1885. Streetcars were introduced in 1892 with subdivisions following soon after. So backtracking a few years, in 1876, the city introduced the first irrigation system for farmers. As the city began to grow, so did the number of people entering into the city. And there are currently more than 70 ethnic groups residing just within the metropolitan area. Also, the industrial side began to grow. In fact, it became the center for several different industries, which, of course, led to a labor dispute by industrial workers who produced the products used in World War I. However, I was not able to find any of this information online. Fun story, the dance style known as popping was developed in Fresno in the 1970s. Also, there was a TV miniseries titled Fresno, which was set in the city during the 1980s. In 1955, the FBI Operation Rezone resulted in several prominent politicians in Fresno and Clovis being charged with being bribed to rezone farmland for housing development. And actually, not a lot has happened since then. So if you want to visit Fresno, you can go and see the 
Forester Underground Gardens, the Fresno Chefe Zoo, Yosemite National Park, Shenzhen Friendship Garden, Fresno Art Museum, and many others, obviously post-COVID, though. Wow, that was so interesting. I didn't know any of that. Can't believe it. What? (laughs) What is your story, Grace? My story is about the murder of the Yule family. Ooh. Okay. Yes. My sources for this story are Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Soapboxy.com. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, no. You should have gone along with Murderpedia. Wikipedia, Soapboxypedia, LoriaJohnston.medium.com, <laughs> ForensicFilesNow.com, and Oxygen.com. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Mwah, chef's okay. kiss. <laughs> Beautiful. We'll start with the Yule family. Uh, Dale Yule was a United States Air Force veteran turned multimillionaire businessman who specialized in the sale of small airplanes with his company, Western Piper Sales, Inc. Incorporated. His wife, Glee, had devoted much of her life to philanthropy and public service, briefly acting as a Spanish teacher for the CIA in... CIA? Mm -hmm. In the 1950s. So is the CIA based in California? I guess it must be. I feel like there are probably different offices. Oh. I think she worked somewhere else. Um, she worked from she home. Wor- no, oh. I think she worked in a different country for while she was a Spanish translator. Gotcha. Uh, she was also briefly a teacher and later held a seat at the State Bar of California Committee uh, that evaluated, like, prospective judges. Mm-hmm. Oh, they also had two children, Tiffany, born in 1968, and Dana, born in 1971. The family was loaded but dale and glee lived kind of kind of modest modest lifestyle and avoided flaunting their wealth which was estimated at seven to eight million around 1992 when this takes place which is the equivalent to like between 13 to 15 million today oof yes in 1992 dale glee and tiffany yule spend easter weekend at their vacation home in pajaro dunes a coastal development in santa cruz county california on sunday april 19th 1992 glee and tiffany drove back to their home in fresno while dale returned in their airplane Fancy. Yeah, that's semi-modest. Semi-modest, but they have their own like, airplane. Sounds, right, right. I mean, he he owns, like, an airplane company. Well, just so. because you own an airplane company doesn't mean you own an airplane. Like, ugh. I feel like that does mean that. I feel like that specifically <laughs> means that. But who wants to, I mean, I, I can't say who wants to fly in their own airplane because I definitely would. Anyway. Like, I mean, and it did, it does sound a little weird, like, that he was flying back when they were driving back, but he actually had a fear that a car accident or a plane crash would kill the whole family, so he would always, like, travel separately. You know, that was always one of my sister's fear, is that our parents would die in a car crash or a plane crash. Mm. Lilo and Stitch does that to you, ma'am. He really does. So they went home. Uh, Dana actually spent the weekend with his girlfriend. Oh, Dana is a boy. Okay. just want to throw that out here Thank just you. in case. Because I don't think I mentioned it before. I've only heard of women named Dana, so I do appreciate you. Well, there's um the comedian Dana Carvey. 
Mm. Yeah. I've also never heard of him. He was in The Master of Disguise. Was he the turtle man? Yes. Okay. And then, yes, I know him. The turtle enough with the turtle club. <laughs> Quote it daily. Fucking daily. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Our generation is the generation of memes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dana spent the weekend with his girlfriend and her family in Morgan Hill, which was a little over two hours away. Two days after Dale, Glee, and Tiffany returned home, Dana notified family friends living in Sunnyside that he wasn't able to get in touch with his parents, and that's when the Ewell family was found dead in their home of apparent gunshot wounds by the housekeeper. Aww. Yes. Glee Ewell 57 was shot four times, while Tiffany 24 and Dale Ewell 59 were each shot once. So sad. After the murders, the Fresno County Sheriff's Office spent four days investigating the crime scene. The case was investigated by detectives John Souza and Chris Curtis, who suspected the killer had been hiding in the house, waiting for the family to return. Ooh. So, Ooh. yeah. Sounds like the Velisca like X murderers. Kind of, yeah. kind of. And so... It seemed like the murders were planned with extreme detail and care, and the shooter actually took all of the discarded shells with him. Ooh, them, so thought ahead. With them, and the shooter's aim was extremely accurate. They only missed once when they were firing multiple shots in a row, and the bullets recovered from the victim's bodies showed signs of the gun having a homemade silencer on it. So Wow. Yeah. Okay. Also, a box... <sighs> This is very weird to me. A box of 9mm shells that had been purchased by Dale Ewell in the early 1970s was found in the house, and the sheriff's office believed that they were used to kill the family, which is interesting to me because they didn't believe that the gun used belonged to the family, so whoever killed them either knew there would be ammo or they brought the wrong ammo at first. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems odd to me. Like, to bring a mm. gun with no bullets to a very obviously premeditated murder? Mm-hmm. Big dummy. So it looked like the house had been ransacked, like whoever laid in wait for the family was looking for valuables, but Detective John Souza, who had extensive experience in investigating burglaries, concluded that the scene was staged to look like the family had interrupted a thief, when in reality, they laid in wait and shot Tiffany, and then Glee, and Dale when he arrived about 30 minutes later, when he entered the house from the garage. So this was definitely premeditated then? For sure. Yeah. Of course, police looked into the background of everyone in the family and found some possible motives for their murders. In the 1970s, Dale Ewell had sold airplanes for a man named Frank Lambie, who had been convicted for drug smuggling mm. using those airplanes. <laughs> after which, yes, <laughs> literally using those airplanes. After which, Dale took over the business. Okay. Dale had also been involved in a struggling real estate development deal with his brother Ben, which apparently threatened to cost investors millions in losses. And those investors were rumored to be part of the Filipino mob. Not a mob I've yeah. ever heard of before, but you Me know either. what? Okay. There was, and, and then there was the fact that Glee was literally involved in the CIA in the 50s. However, none of these leads panned out and it was determined that they were unrelated. Okay. This is kind of where the investigation shifted. Days after the murders, Detective Curtis walked Dana through the crime scene and thought his reactions were really unusual, and he just thought, that kid's dirty. Although, yes, Dana. But I son. thought Dana was shot. No, Dale. Dale was, was shot. shot. 
Dana was like, was with his girlfriend's family. Gotcha. Okay. For Easter weekend. That's where I was confused. Gotcha. I know. Dana and Dale. Dale. Yeah. Both Two D-names. letters off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although Dana's alibi for his whereabouts at the time of the murders was airtight as like his girlfriend and her family, including her father, who was in the FBI, mm. vouched for him. Detectives focused on him after eliminating those other leads. It's surprising. Um, that is actually fairly surprising. Yeah, unless you're related to him, apparently. Dale's brothers, uh, his dad, his brothers actually contacted the police to point fingers at Dana. What? Yeah. They're like, look at him. So, sorry. To go along with this theory, we're going to say that he was at his girlfriend's house. Her family fell asleep, so he went back home to wait for his family before committing the crime. No. Oh, well, I tried. (laughs) I couldn't find a lot about his life before high school, but apparently even when he was in high school, his goal was to be a multimillionaire by age 25. Me too. Same. Uh, Come and gone, but (laughs) it's whatever. (laughs) Look, we're aiming for 27 now. That's like this year, dude. That's not gonna... Okay. Um, We can win the lottery. However, at 21, he was still being supported by his parents. While in college, he had lied, taking things his father had done and passed them off as his own stories and accomplishments. He started telling people that he owned a company which grossed $2.7 million. He told... (laughs) He told people that he had played the stock market in high school, becoming a stockbroker at the age of 18, Mm. an aircraft salesman and president of his own aircraft company. And he, like, just completely erasing his father completely. He was apparently so convincing, though, that a Santa Clara newspaper and Santa Clara University's yearbook both printed stories on his accomplishments in 1990, painting himself as a self-made millionaire. However, uh, his parents found out about the lies and actually modified their estate plan. And according to extended family members, his parents planned on ending any financial support after he graduated from college. I mean, yeah, that was kind of very deserved. Yes, Um, One of those extended family members who mentioned this was Dana's uncle, who said Dana was oddly fixated on the details of his parents' will and testament after they passed and was visibly shaken and angry upon learning he would be unable to access most of his family's wealth until his 30s. Oh, well, at least they gave it to him after his 30s. Well, so So. his parents new estate plan had created like a legal trust that basically locked up all of their assets upon their death Mm -hmm. and a trustee would be able would be required to pay for dana's care and expenses until the age of 25 and between the age of 25 to 30 he would receive dividends from investments but had no access to anything more until the age of 30 when he received like half of the total and then the rest at age 35 on the other side, uh, he was the beneficiary for over $300,000 in life insurance payments, which were not subject to trust restrictions or court oversight. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's the motive, I guess. He wanted their money, but I think the, the big thing was, like, how? Yeah. He was, like, literally 200 miles away at the time. And that's where Joel Patrick Radovich comes in. Radovich. Rad- Radovich. Radovich was a a college friend. (laughs) Radovich. Radovich. 
Uh, uh, Radovich was a college friend of Yule who dropped out of school shortly after the murders and came under suspicion. While Dana was obsessed with money and social status, Radovich seemed to be obsessed with guns and explosives. Isn't that fun? It's just fun. No. 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 Dana and Radovich started getting really, like, started acting really suspicious. They moved into the family home just a few weeks after the murders when Dana had been living on campus. And, like I said, Radovich dropped out. Okay. And, like, they had told police that they didn't know each other very well. And then all of a sudden, they're living in in his dead family's home. Yeah. I mean... I understand getting a roommate. Right. However. However. Does he have a job to help with bills? Um, No. Yeah. On top of that, the two started making a lot of purchases in cash, despite Radovich being unemployed, including helicopter flight lessons. Oh, boy. Although within weeks of his family's death, Dana had access to more than $800,000 but about $124,000 in cash couldn't be accounted for. And they found that he had been taking money from his ill grandmother's account that he had control over and basically drained it down to $2,000. And it had been like, I don't actually remember what it was. I didn't write it down, but it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And and they started communicating in this really weird and complex way. They would communicate via pagers and feigned payphone calls seemingly in order to not be overheard but police kept them under really close surveillance for months and in one instance a detective wore a recording device and stood close to radovich at a payphone in may of 1993 overhearing him make comments like they don't have evidence they'll try to catch you in a lie apparently a all of this stemmed from a 1993 article in the los angeles times that named them the two prime suspects and it spooked them into laying low and this is what they thought that looked like i guess so d- did i miss something because i thought they were living together in his parents home why are they they were why are they paging and doing I don't know. calls i don't know They're- i don't know if he eventually moved out and um was living somewhere else or if like when they weren't home and when they were out and about that's how they communicated with each other i don't know if they thought that the home was bugged i have no idea i thought it was so weird too i I don't understand if they're living together why would they need to do any of this (laughs) i don't get it I don't. Because, well, even if they were bugged, if they do, f- if they did payphone calls, the bug on the other end would catch it, would catch the payphone. No, no, if they were, if their home was bugged. You can't bug a public payphone, I don't think. Well, I assumed that they were public phoning their home phone. No. They were public they phoning would... public phones? Yes. <sighs> yeah. So they would, like, specifically say, they would page each other, like, when and where to call, and then that's how they would do it. And they were, yeah. It, yes, very out there. Okay. Forensic analysis confirmed the murder weapon was a high-end 9mm specialty rifle manufactured by Feather Industries in Colorado, and company records showed that Ernest Jack Ponce a friend of the Radovich family had purchased that exact rifle shortly before the murders. And that's when Ponce admitted to buying the rifle for Radovich, but he denied 
knowing that it was going to be used in a crime. I mean, however, at least he admitted he it. He did bury the gun after the murders were committed. Wow. Wow. Yes. He wow. Um, was initially charged with the murders along with uh, Yul and Radovich, but <laughs> he couldn't be tried as an accessory because he was granted immunity for testifying against Dana and Radovich, who were arrested in early 1995, three years after the murders. Yeah. Okay. The trial lasted over eight months with prosecutors arguing that Dana was motivated by greed and he promised Radovich a share of his family's wealth. And they were represented by separate attorneys who had extremely different strategies. Radovich's attorney knew there was so much evidence against him that a guilty verdict was basically inevitable. So they just tried to avoid the death penalty. That's all they focused on. Newell's attorney was court appointed, by the way, because he didn't have access to his family's money and had spent all of the money that he had. They chose to insist that Dana was innocent, which is interesting. They insisted that he yes. was innocent. They insisted that he was innocent, which is super interesting because the jury el- uh, foreman, Mike Elder, said that the jury was terrified of Dana, but almost sympathetic towards Radovich for some reason. What? He literally, uh, he said that a lot of the jury saw Radovich as broken, someone that Dana just used as a means to an end. I mean, yeah. Despite the fact that he personally shot the family. And actually, Detective Chris Curtis said that Glee Ewell likely knew who was killing her mm-hmm. and why, because the shooter actually went and straddled her and shot her at close range. And Radovich was her son's guest in the house just the month before. Mm. He also said it was so well planned that Radovich actually shaved himself hairless from head to toe and sat down on a plastic sheet while he waited for the family to come home in order to leave as little evidence as possible. But sure, feel bad for that guy. I mean, I don't feel bad for him. They but, did. But he was he was definitely used. But he was also sure. very much he was part of very the much an, accompl- an, a, yeah. an accomplice. He committed the murders knowing full well what he was doing. Yeah, like I have no doubt that he was probably mentally um, unstable and therefore I don't even want to say that. I don't want to say that just because somebody went along. He was greedy. I mean, valid. He knew he was going to get money. Valid. And was like, I'm going to kill these people because I want money. Valid. I didn't think of it like that. Thank you. But yeah, I just... And he very, like, he may have been, like, mentally ill in some sort of way, but I don't want to say that he was because of this. I think that his defense, like, specifically painted that picture yeah. in order to make sure he didn't get the death penalty. But unfortunately, I think that is what most defenses try to do, is to try to convince the jury that the person they're um, fighting Not for... Not as dangerous as they are. That they're, yeah. they're just a broken man with, yeah. in a rough situation. Exactly. That's... A lot of defenses try to do that. And they try to do it because, well, they're going to get money if they get their client off the hook. True. <laughs> I just, <laughs> They also tried to pit it all against Ponce, the guy who got the gun gun. for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That just, Um, I mean, granted, he shouldn't have bought the gun for him. Yeah. Elder also said that the jury didn't trust Ernest Ponce. He testified in court that Radovich told him that Tiffany Ewell was the first victim to be shot. He said Radovich told him she walked by the room he was waiting in and shot her in the head. Oh, 
then shot Glee several times, then changed magazines in the gun and put on fresh gloves while waiting for Dale Yule to come home, and he waited until Dale walked past the room he was in and stepped out and shot him. Ponce also testified that he purchased the assault rifle that Radovich used in the killings and helped him dispose of not only gun parts, fired shells, but also a silencer and tennis shoes. (laughs) I have no sympathy for Ponce now because he was straight up an accomplice. That's not all though. Okay, so his testimony actually revealed that he might have been more involved with the murders than he admitted. Mm. Yeah, jurors said that they were honestly creeped out by him because he described the murders in such detail that the jurors felt that he might have been there. That's a good theory. Yeah, the foreman, Mike Elder, that I mentioned earlier, said that Ponce supposedly was speaking from the standpoint of Radovich, but he said, and I saw instead of he saw, and then corrected himself. Ooh, just giving yourself away there, buddy. Yeah, so there are several jurors who actually believe that Radovich wasn't alone at the Yule house, but because of his immunity, Ponce couldn't be tried. No. And technically, he had passed a lie detector test, so I guess that actually could have been a slip of the tongue. Either way, he did dispose of evidence. Yeah. But he was free to go, and actually, he went on to become an attorney in Orange County, which I think is interesting. Okay, that's... Yeah. I mean, good for him, but... Mm. Another interesting thing is that a couple of articles made it seem like Dana's girlfriend at the time, Monica, might have known what was going on, but... There's no mention of her when it comes to the trial. Like, Was at one she point, protected? Well, so at one point, Dana had used some of the money he got to help her pay for her law degree. And years later, someone contacted the law firm she worked for and told them about the whole thing. Mm. And she actually sued the person who did that. And some people said her father stopped her from being involved in the trial because he was in the FBI. I mean, to be fair, she could have sued for defamation. Yes, could have. But we'll just never really know. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. There were some articles that were really not painting her in a good light Mm. at all. Mm. Jurors deliberated for 11 days. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Although they considered Ponce's testimony unreliable and suspected he was more involved with the murders than he admitted, they found Ewell and Radovich both guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. Good. They were subject to stricter sentencing due to aggravating circumstances, including uh, the fact that there were multiple victims, murder for profit, and lying in wait. They were sentenced on July 20th, 1998 to life sentences without the possibility of parole. What's so wild is that prosecutors also tried to prove that Dana and Radovich had also targeted Dana's grandfather who lived in Ohio because he was really vocal about suspecting Radovich. This grandfather died in an explosion in his basement and there was evidence that Radovich was in Ohio around the same time and like I said earlier he he was a big fan of guns and explosives but it was ruled an accident like it, it was just like natural random causes. Um no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Without any evidence for that, they couldn't reach a unanimous decision on whether they should be put to death, so it was taken off the table, so they only got life in prison. Both of the men have now exhausted their appeals and will die in prison. Dana was supposed to inherit the bulk of his family's estate had his parents and sister died naturally. Naturally. But his conviction prevents him from claiming the inheritance, which will be split among relatives. And that was the murders of Glee, Dale, and Tiffany Ewell. I don't even know what to say about that story. Uh, some rich boy. But, like, 
It's like the evidence is all there, but then the evidence isn't there. Right. And then... So I can't be- I can't believe he got sentenced, but I also... Well, at one point, there was a gag order on the case. So I think there was some information that didn't come out about it. Okay. And I, I think there was some-, some stuff that wasn't released until a lot later. And honestly, I probably missed some stuff. I'm sorry. I was making that face about your story. Just, I can't. (sighs) Okay. Uh, What's your story, Rachel? My story is the wonderfully weird story of the Fresno Nightcrawlers, which, by the way, did not have the original name Fresno Nightcrawlers. Oh, really? Really. It's actually very, I want to say it's very interesting, but it's not. Because they were originally the Fresno aliens. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So. Not as interesting. Doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Right. Right. But yeah, you said, I do feel semi-bad because I know that you wanted to do this story too. Oh, you're fine. And this really was more information than the story we were originally going to do. So, my sources are very many for very little information. Wattpad.com, theodysseyonline.com, fresnob.com, cryptids.fandoms.com, ranker.com, handwiki.org, alasdarestuart.com, paulwagner.com. So the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Almost everyone interested in the paranormal knows of these little creatures, despite the fact that they've only been seen about three times. And not even in person originally. Three? Three. Three times. There are more that I mentioned in the story, but they're not technically Mm -hmm. the Fresno Nightcrawlers. They're just similar. Oh. And these sightings have all been through the eyes of video surveillance cameras. The first and second video footage actually comes from the same person. The first one occurred in 2007 in Fresno, California. A man whose identity is only known as Jose wanted to know why his dog was going just batshit crazy at night, every night. So he set up a security camera above the family's garage. And you know, this is one of those really old school security cameras that, you know, Mm. recorded on VHS tapes. And they're like super grainy. So very, very, very poor quality. Yes. That night, he surprisingly caught two figures walking across his yard. However, the figures appeared to be incomplete. (laughs) That's a good word for it. That's a very good word for it. The first figure was roughly two to three feet tall, had no arms, and walked slowly across Jose's yard before pausing briefly and moving on. Only a few seconds later, a similar but slightly smaller figure followed. These figures appeared to be a pair of pants. (laughs) (laughs) and the second creature in fact seemed to billow somewhat in the wind just like flutter both head heads to be floating pants billowing in the wind i mean really i'm gonna show you here in a minute it's (sighs) both had heads much smaller than their appendages and the creatures moved somewhat gracefully and with an apparent purpose although we don't know what that purpose is The family, unsure of who or what these things might be, turned to the police, naturally, I guess. 
if you don't know something, I guess you call the police. Yeah, I mean... I mean, logically, a lot of people do. Who were equally as unhelpful? What year was this again? 2007. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. Google was definitely around then. You could have Googled that. Googled walking pants? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Walking pants, billowing legs, anything? (laughs) Do you know? (laughs) Late night walking pants, no torso, head eyes. Yes, that's going to get some great Google searches in 2007. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Soon, the media got a hold of the surveillance footage, and these unknown creatures were pretty much an overnight phenomena. This was thanks in part to Victor Camacho, who is a local UFO investigator and a member of MUFON, which we have spoken of very frequently. Despite the graininess of the image, it was determined that the footage of these creatures was in fact real. And in 2010, this clip was featured on the sci-fi show Fact or Faked Paranormal Files, which was, which was one of my favorite TV shows back in 2010. Yeah. Over the course of the episode, the group determined that the footage collected was unexplainable. That was even after trying to recreate the video with puppets and a small child in a white sheet. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually believe that it is because of the show the term Fresno Nightcrawlers is so frequently used. Okay. Um, Because realistically, these don't don't crawl. (laughs) They walk. Well... (laughs) Well, if you think of them as knees, as it could knees? be like crawling. Yeah. Mm, no. Well, also, when I think nightcrawler, I th- I think of a bug. Yeah. Not some weird pants-looking creature. So, speaking of, I would like to show you the first video footage. As okay. if we've not seen it a million times already. Like, hey, come on. I'd love to watch it again. I know, right? As you can tell, very grainy, very VHS-like. And if you look in the upper left-hand corner, you can see the creature kind of starting to walk. That's so weird. Now, I don't know about you, but it kind of looks like a cape to me. A little bit, but you can definitely see through it. Yeah. And, like, I know people are like, oh, it's pants. It looks like pants. But I don't know. For me, it looks like a cape, kind of. Mm, a little bit. I Yeah, like a little bit like a f- flowing cape. Yeah, like but just... But right there, yeah. you can see. Just how it's billowing. Yeah, plus there are no legs. And this is my favorite part of this video because it shows the image, like, embossed. And you can see the thickness of something. So, if it was faked, you would be able to see any strings, any type of anything right. here. And you can see the shadow. And you yeah. can see parts and you can of see it moving. At least one leg. Hmm. That's so weird. And then zoom in on nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're just going to stop the share right there. It should also be mentioned that although this video has gotten very popular over the years, Jose and his family have remained in anonymity out of fear. Like, they were even afraid to leave the house. Really? Yes. Why? Because of these things or because they thought people would do something? Because of these things. Oh. Because of these things, they don't know what these things are. They're sort of kind of clearly not human. Yeah. And, and also, they're walking yeah. in the backyard, so. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Uh, th- th- yeah. But um, also anonymity because they didn't want this to ruin their life at home. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, a lot of people who say that they've seen one thing or the other, like UFOs or stuff like that, often get their name dragged through the mud because, yeah. oh, they're crazy. They saw a UFO exactly then in 2011 park officials at yosemite national park were putting cameras up in order to catch trespassers who had been damaging the property so shame on you don't damage parkland's property that's very shitty don't do that instead the cameras caught something else this time it was almost the same two figures they were seen making their way down one of the park paths one was incredibly short. Yeah, it, I don't know. This one is just really woo- short. I don't know. And the feet were clearly defined as opposed to the first video footage. Oh, I don't think I've seen this one. I don't think I've seen one with feet. No, 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 no. I'll go on and show show it to you um, before continuing just because it's so interesting. Uh, this one right here. See? Yeah. But it's walking slower. Much slower. But see, look how short this one in the back is. Oh. <laughs> it's like okay. a baby. I think I've only ever seen that first one. Yeah. Like, I mean, this, I've seen parts of this video, but I don't think I've seen, this. I one. think I've only seen that part. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this little itty bitty. But I what find it, fuck? I find it really interesting. If you look down at where the, the feet are, look at how the ankles move yeah they, it's almost, they almost like bend right i also find it interesting that the shorter figure has more of a leg width yeah than the taller one yeah because the taller one could almost be somebody wearing like an outfit and having their arms tucked in right except if it weren't for how bendy those right ankles were <laughs> and it's- but that back one is literally impossible because there's like it's, only it's like legs it's literally and head. head and leg. Oh, did you see that? It like turned and looked at us. Yes, I did. Once again, the media grabbed hold of this video and the creatures were in pop culture once again. It's theorized that these creatures could be aliens, an undiscovered species, or an interdimensional being. One popular theory is that the creatures resemble beings from local Native American legends. And apparently even the local natives insist that they are, and that the creatures have been walking around the area for a long time. Oh. However, I really couldn't find any sort of creature or legend from the area that resembled it and also this theory was debunked by camacho who was the guy who first found the video technically i think a lot of the um a lot of the sources that are like natives in this area say that it's a legend well in reality it's just them saying all of that plus there's a local dmv who has tree sculptures like sculptures made from the the ash trees there Mm -hmm. that are shaped like this creature oh okay but they're literally just they're just sculptures there and it's part of a dmv it's not part of like a native like i'm blanking on the words like it's not a uh an art installation or um carving done by native yes people in the area yes correct so these are the statues that people are talking of that are oh. outside of local DMV. Oh. 
That is extremely similar. Similar. Yeah. And those are just random art mm-hmm. installations? Just random art installations. Who did them? I don't know. I'll be honest, I don't know. Huh. Anyway, so all the creature found its fame in California, it's also been seen across several states in the Midwest. For example, in 2004 in Manchester, Indiana, a 17-year-old drove past a creature that matched the description of the Fresno Nightcrawler. Only this time, the creature that they saw was over six feet tall. Uh, okay. At the exact same time, an elderly couple had been driving past and also experienced this. Oh. Both them and the 17-year-old pulled over to the side of the road to confirm with each other what they had seen. They all agreed that that this creature was not human and decided to just basically escort each other out of the area until they felt safe. Oh, that's creepy. It's not bad until you think six feet tall. Then it's yeah. like, oh shit. I mean, seeing that on its own would be absolutely terrifying, but six feet tall? Yeah, exactly. It was also seen in Portland, and this video, I, I do have to mention all these videos, we can thank cryptids.fandoms.com mm-hmm. on this because they have the videos all displayed in the exact same space. I love it. Cool. Anyway, it shows a man who is very shakily filming with a handheld camera. He's obviously kind of concerned with what he is seeing, and to be fair, it's kind of weird and different. Okay. What he captures is a tall creature with long legs and a small head. Yeah, I don't think I'd be indifferent if I saw that. No. Gotta gotta say, I'd be like, what the fuck? It moves just as the original creatures in Fresno moved. And the only difference that I personally saw is that the creature looks like it's, I mentioned this before, it looks, this one more specifically, it looks like it's wearing a cape. Okay. Like, it looks like a hooded cape that melds into pants. Okay. Like, it's very, uh, (laughs) I just have to show you because it's just, it's so cape-like. Oh, what the fuck? I don't like that. See? Yeah. Hood. Looks like somebody in a very long white cape wearing stilts that are attached to the cape like look at those freakishly long legs that's so weird so the creature is also possibly related to the caramel area creature which i do have to admit looks pretty similar so just imagine that the fresno creatures are wearing pants and that the caramel area creature isn't okay (laughs) okay okay (laughs) i know it's a very it's very bad thing to imagine i'm Um, imagining fleshy sticks with a white head (laughs) well here i'll show you again really fast this is the caramel area creature that's very terrifying (laughs) that's even more terrifying holy fuck (laughs) holy shit no what the hell in what in the silent hill no On December 12, 2014, a 60-year-old ex-Marine and his wife were driving near Carmel, Ohio, towards their new home in the Fort Hill area. As they were winding a curve near the Carmel Church, a strange creature, roughly seven feet tall, crossed in front of their truck. According to the witnesses, the creature was tall, gray, had no arms, had long muscular legs, and walked and walked on backward bending knees. Mm. 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 So. No. Absolutely. 
fucking not. With this comment and with how flexible those legs looked in those videos we watched, part of me actually does feel like they might be the same creature. Like, maybe they're two... I mean, they could be two different creatures, but they look... Maybe the second one is the first one without its... Without its pants. Pants. <laughs> well, That's yeah. Because disgusting. they look... Pretty much the same, except for the the movement of whatever is surrounding the creature's legs. That's rough. Yeah, so like... That's rough. I don't know. I mean, this could totally be... F- like 100% fake today. However, just with how old the video is and how, at the time, difficult it was to fix... Fake stuff like that? Stuff like that. I don't know. I kind of feel like this is real. Unless it's, <laughs> like, fact or fake tested, a child in a white sheet. I don't think... With the how high no. it went up, I don't think that's possible. No, 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 no. No. And also, I mean, like I said earlier... The family remained in anonymity all the right. way, like entirely, until the gentleman whose name was only Jose right. passed away. Like he has passed away now and he has kept to this story and he has kept his anonymity. And I don't know, yeah. I just feel like if someone believes it that much, it probably happened. At least that one happened. Yeah. For sure. Yes. But anyway, that was the Fresno Nightcrawlers, and we definitely have to... I have no idea what the fuck that could be. <laughs> that I, was... re- I really want to know if there is any sort of native legend in the area that we just don't know about. And it's entirely possible have... there is. That's so interesting because you know the natives did not tell all of their legends to the people who inhabited their land that's right and of course some have been lost because they weren't allowed to practice their traditions or share yeah pass stuff down with their family for so long so yeah so it's entirely possible that these creatures may actually exist it's entirely possible it could be hoaxed we don't know though it could be a tall person on short stilts or, or it could be a short, a short person, person on, on tall, tall stilts, stilts. i mean yeah <laughs> who knows we it's we just don't the way know. that especially with that one video that had the smaller second one the way that the yeah. legs bended Moved. just before where the feet are yeah is so eerie and it just bends back it was almost like their legs were made of aluminum foil yeah or something i it was so like that wobbly stuff it just makes Um, me cringe thinking about it i hate it could you imagine if we actually walked like that (laughs) no let's 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 not imagine that okay okay if you enjoyed that as much as we did even if you did not if you did not if you absolutely hated it and loathed it and think we need to do a better job at reporting follow us on instagram and facebook and youtube at myths misfortunes myths and misfortunes (laughs) Or Twitter, I a word. Um, 
That's fine. Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to MythsAndMisfortunes at gmail.com. And please check out our website, MythsAndMisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Goodbye. Bye.